All right, so we are at the end of Ephesians uh, chapter 6, verses 10 through 20, and we're bringing to conclusion our journey through the book of Ephesians. And I, I hope that there's been some things along the way that have been very rich for you and that you won't necessarily move on from, that you will recognize you need to keep coming back to. Now, this portion of chapter 6, 10 through 20, is actually a summary of everything that Paul has said in Ephesians. And one of the great things that you could do as a way to get some of this to maybe to stick further to your ribs is to take those 10 verses on your own, your own devotional time, and go back through and see how, how many places he connects. We don't have enough time here this morning for me to make every connection, but I will make a few uh, that will be worth your time. And so here Paul is bringing together everything that, that he's been trying to say and just how deeply important it is for us to be in Christ but also for that to be lived out in and for the life of the world. If we lose that aspect of what Paul is trying to tell us in Ephesians, then we miss the, the lion's share of what it means to be saved. We are not saved only from something. We are saved for something. We're not just saved from sin and death. We are saved for the life of the world. We are the continued display of the glory of God now that Christ has ascended and has uh, the Holy Spirit's been poured out in and through us. And so it's important that we remember what we're here for. Uh, and that's all of us. Nobody, uh, and I appreciate what Mark said uh, and that Martin Hawley was praying for for his church. You cannot say you're a Christian and think that you are not gifted in some way for the life of the world. You can't do it. Now, what you have to disentangle is all of the weird stuff you've probably accumulated over your, your Christian life up to now as to what you think that means, right? For those of us who uh, I was, uh, came to Christ in a Baptist church, I was older, uh, and so often, at least under the influence of the folks that were around me, often what I thought that meant is that you pester people in public about Jesus. And that was a distortion on my part, by the way. I'm not faulting them, but that's what I picked up. And so... There are times where I think that we see the, the spiritual gifts as only for extroverts or people who are great conversationalists or people who, engage, that's not true. Uh, and so it's important that we recognize that we have all been gifted because we are in Christ. We have all been granted the Holy Spirit because we are in Christ. And we have all been called to do what we do for the life of the world, right? So uh, let's jump into the text, but let me ask you a question first. Uh, what most helps you to be strong and stand firm in the face of adversity? Like when you're presented with a problem of some kind, what do you turn to first? Right? Where do, you, where do you seek to stand? Is it in your own strength? Right? For many of us, it's, it's I, I, don't, I don't really want to talk to anybody about it. I just want to sit in. I want to figure it out for myself. How many of you say that? I'm numbered among you, by the way. Uh, and, and my reading of Proverbs would say, you have a fool for a counselor. And I have a fool for a counselor. Now, that doesn't mean you put your business in the street, but you gotta have somebody around you that will help be helpful to you when you need wise counsel. Because we all find ourselves as part of God's great grace to us to make sure we remain humble. We all encounter things that are way bigger than us. And that if we leave it to our own devices, we're going to make some really bad decisions. And so what you want to do is look for where the Lord has blessed you with someone in your life that you can, you can talk to and be real with, and they're not going to judge you because you're struggling or doubting. Remember, the antithesis to faith has never been doubt. The antithesis to faith is arrogance and pride, thinking you know. When in, that, in essence, there's no way to know. There's corners you just can't see around. So where do you, where do you turn? Do you, do you turn to pop psychology and kind of worldly solutions? Do you, do you turn to substances to try to assuage the adversity and pain? Do you just ignore it? Do you procrastinate? How do you deal when adversity comes, which if you live in a fallen world, what's guaranteed? It's here. It ain't just coming. It's already on you. And the question is, how are you navigating it? And of course, it'll rise and fall depending on circumstance. <clears throat> so it's important that we recognize where should we turn, where should we stand, and where is our hope, right? Uh, because so often we can't see it. And I think that that's one of the great privileges that I have as a pastor is to try to help 
you to see and us to see what's possible without it being silly or trite or overly fantastic, but truly what can be possible and what will it take for us to get from here to there. And sometimes, honestly, I don't know. All I can do is cast a vision and say, I will, I will grind it out with you. I will go through the fire with you uh, until we see something change. So the key truth that we have from this passage is that we are called to be strong and stand firm in the strength provided by the Lord through his means of grace against the devil and the spiritual powers of darkness for the advance of the gospel for the life of the world. It's not just for our own good that we have these things, the means of grace. It's not just for our own good that he grants us the armor of God. It's not just for our own good that he gives us strength and a place to stand. It is truly for the life of the world. And sometimes that world may be your children. Sometimes that world may be just your family. We've all got family members who don't profess Christ, I'm fairly certain. It could be for your neighbors. We're actually going to gather tonight in my, I guess you can call it a neighborhood, uh, a gathering of homes, and we're going to pray. We're going to pray for our neighborhood, a bunch of us, uh, which is a pretty exciting thing to, to engage in and do. I'm, I'm interested to see what the Lord's going to do with that, that we who gather together uh, and, and pray and see what he's going to do. And so it, it's, that world can mean a lot of different things. Like for the Sawyers, that meant going to Kenya and serving the Maasai tribe. And they're doing amazing things there. For Brian and Mandy Stock, it means that they go to Southeast Asia. For other people, it means different things. But but doesn't mean that that's better or worse. For some of you, the world is either really a small postage stamp or it could be a larger entity. But either way, you have been granted what you've been granted for those around you in your spheres of influence, for their blessing and good. So, uh, let's hear uh, Paul's final instructions to us from the book of Ephesians. We'll read the first uh, eight verses, beginning in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm, stand, therefore, having uh, um, fastened the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. It's really important that we understand what he is saying in the right key. Uh, and there's something that's uh, really critical when we begin to try to understand what it is we're actually fighting against and what we're not fighting against but fighting for. So he says, finally, be strong in the Lord. Now he's hearkening back to a couple of places. The first would be chapter 1. To be in the Lord, if you were to go back and read those wonderful verses, that blessing that he gives for God, he has several things where he says, in Christ, in the Lord, and you have all of these amazing blessings. And remember, you have access to all the, the, heavenly, uh, the, the, the heavenly treasure trove. You are an heir. And so to be in the Lord means that you have everything you could possibly need to navigate life in a fallen world. So he's hearkening back to uh, verses, uh, chapter 1, verses 3 through 14 in particular. He's also hearkening back to chapter 3, beginning in verse 14, that prayer through verse 21 where he says, I pray that the Holy Spirit would grant you, and remember how he put it, the strength to comprehend with all the saints the, the height and depth of God's love. What does that tell us we don't have the capacity to do in and of our natural selves? We cannot comprehend the love of God in and of our natural selves. This is why so often in Scripture it says the natural man cannot comprehend the spiritual. The Holy Spirit, and that, that can sound like, well, that's arrogant. No, that's qualified. It's different, right? 
Just like uh, when, when my lawnmower starts making a really weird noise, there is nothing I can do to figure it out from, from the knowledge that I presently have. It is off limits to me. In fact, even reading a book may not help because I don't have a mechanical mind. Jack Lane, I can put the phone next to it. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, you're, you're throwing a Spitzer rod or something. Uh, one of those Johnson bearings is loose or I don't know. Uh, and so he, he's even walked me through and, and been able to, to kind of fix stuff over the phone. He helped me with uh, uh, my uh, trash compactor or whatever, the garbage disposal one time. But he's got a mechanical mind. I mean, he's just, he's got it, right? So no matter how hard I try, it's a qualified situation. I, I can't get there from here. And that's, no, that's not because I don't have, I'm a lesser person, right? So in the same way with spiritual things, it requires a certain level of shift in your knowledge. It actually requires a change in your mind and heart, a change in your being. You can't get there from here. Which is why the Bible is not strictly literature, it is amazing literature, but it is not strict, strictly literature. It is a spiritual document. It is living and breathing in ways that is hard for us to comprehend. And so, in order for us to comprehend, to stand in, to, to be able to benefit from uh, the Lord our God beyond common grace, right, we have to be in Christ. And we have to have the power of the Holy Spirit. So it's the full Trinitarian thing, which has been all throughout Ephesians. Father, Son, and Spirit are involved in this. It takes all of that in order for us to stand firm. Which tells us what about us and what about the world. Well, it tells us that left our own devices, we are pretty weak beings, all things considered. Now, that's, again, that's comparative, right? Uh, can unbelievers be nice? Oh, absolutely. In fact, some of the most generous, nicest people you're ever going to meet in your life do not claim Christ. It's, it's a sad commentary that someone, anyone in this world could ever say, and they can say it, that Christians are some of the meanest people I've ever been around in my life. Most unhappy group I, I think I've ever seen. And that's not true of all of us, by the way. It's just not. But it's true of too many. And for, and for them to be able to say, this group over here is way more accepting, way more, you can have better conversations, they don't shut down, they, they actually think some things through, uh, that should be said of us. We have the liberty uh, because of, we, we know the God of the universe who made every rhythm thing. Every bit of wisdom comes from him. We should be interested in it all. But too often we're not. We're closed down. We go the opposite way, which is why Paul's going to make a point here in just a minute about who the true enemy is. So what a gift that we get to be in the Spirit. And so again, let, let us walk as people who've been truly redeemed. Let us be people who get that Christ is about reconciliation and that is worth fighting for. For him, by the way, it was worth dying for. And so we need to stand firm because not only are we weak, but the magnitude of the fall is greater than we can bear. Not just the weight of death itself, but the, even between the now and the not yet, it can be crippling and crushing, right? So I'm fascinated by uh, how often we, 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 the pendulum swings as far as political solutions are concerned and what comes in and out of fashion. If you do any reading of history, things come in and out of fashion so fast, it's fascinating. Um, and we kind of circle the same drain all the time. I, I've been reading a set of essays by Marilyn Robinson, uh, who wrote the book Gilead and Home and Lila, but she's a great essayist and brilliant thinker. And she says she's, and this is not, I'm not just saying, because she's, she's not a huge fan of free market capitalism in, in and of itself, left without some bumper, bumpers on it. But she also says she's yet to meet a Marxist that's actually read Marx. And, uh, and, and so that's a fascinating thing that we do. We kind of come in and out of fashion because we're looking for something to fix it for us because we don't want to go through the effort of participating in becoming. We just want to be. We don't want to become, right? So the real reality is I'm not currently bald. I'm becoming bald, as it were. And uh, hopefully that'll get better with time and the color will straighten out. And, so, you know, there's lots of stuff that needs to happen here. Uh, it ain't there yet. I'm not there yet. It's still kind of a shocking thing. Probably the best reaction I've had other than Stephanie Knapper's refusal to look upon me. 
was Chris Blackman, who's from California. So those, they don't care what you think. He, he just, his immediate response like, oh, wow. <laughs> I love a good, honest response. I do. And I'm not real sensitive about it. You can't be. I got other issues. Baldness wasn't the main problem. Uh, so, so here we are. We, we are weak. The world is strong in its brokenness. And we need strength to stand firm. And how gracious is our God that he would give it to us. And not just give us a little bit, but give it to us in full. In the fullness of Christ for us to discover over time uh, as we are in the process of becoming. And so what a gift that he, given all the circumstances, grants us what we need in order to be able to glorify him in this broken world. He goes on to say to put on the whole armor of God. Now, this is from Isaiah. If you, uh, there are several places in Isaiah, chapter 11, chapter 59, where it talks about the, the things that clothe the Lord, oftentimes referring to Christ, pointing forward to Christ, the belt of, of truth and, and these other, the breastplate of righteousness. These other things are the things that the Lord wore as the mighty warrior. That's one of the reasons that we sang that song, the Song of Moses, to remind us that God is fighting for us not against us. Too often we act as if he's fighting against us, that he's just a cosmic killjoy who can't take a joke. He obviously can take a joke because I'm your pastor. Right? And that's okay. I mean, that's what an, that, that more glory to him, right, and less to me. And so the, the reality is that these are, he's, all he's saying is he's reminding us of, of chapters four and five. He's saying, imitate me. Wear what I would wear to do spiritual battle. Everything that I have worn to protect you, you in Christ can take up and wear to protect others. To actually, for the life of the world, call other people into the kingdom. These are not instruments that we are to use against other people. We're not to use the word of the Lord as a sword against his people. Because again, why in the world would you use an instrument that someone who is not in the spirit can't understand? You essentially are speaking in tongues and there's no interpreter. Now, did I just say that we can't say that there's anything wrong in this world? No, I didn't say that at all. What I did say is how we say it is very important. Very important. And so he's telling us to put on these things to go against the schemes of the devil, right? So that's an important way of phrasing it because what that tells us is the devil's not interested in you knowing what he's doing. I've always argued that folks like Marilyn Manson, uh, Black Sabbath, all these folks, they just got it wrong. Like, like Satanism actually is, it looks more like people in the church. Most of your Satanists reside, reside in the church and they don't know that they're of the house of Satan. And that should be a sobering thing to us. To, to carve 666 in your forehead is so, the devil's like, man, that is way too obvious. You're killing my brand. I can't work with that. Like, you guys are being ridiculous. He wants to sow discord because remember what Paul has emphasized throughout the book of Ephesians about unity. Something that we are willing to give up so easily, whether it's in our marriages, in our friendships, in our church uh, participation and attendance. Like we, we just, we're so consumer driven on all these things. We'll give it up in a heartbeat, even though Christ died for it to remain firm. Now, don't get me wrong. I've left a couple of churches and my wife can tell you uh, it was, it was a gut wrenching phenomenon in both cases. I wasn't a pastor at the time and we went through an awful lot. Like I, I, I almost waited too long because I was so convinced of the reconciling work of Christ and the power of it, there was no way I was just going to walk out on a group of people that I had come to love and cried with and laughed with and fought for and fought with. You know, you just don't, you don't walk out like that. And so the schemes of the devil, he don't want it to be real obvious because he wants to slowly begin to separate. And all he's concerned with is the destruction of any and all quality in you that glorifies God. Well, here's what's interesting. What quality in you glorifies God at base? 
You bear his image, the breath in your lungs, actually. Because that's opportunity. That's opportunity for him to be glorified, you see. Even when you use it for ill, make no mistake, and Paul says this in in Galatians chapter 6, God isn't mocked. We who scoff and make fun of things and, 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 you know, use our sarcasm for evil and all that kind of stuff, I'm numbered among you at times. We're not mocking God. He's too big for that. He's too glorious for that. But what we are doing is mocking ourselves. What we are doing is diminishing our own humanity. The smaller he is in our minds, the smaller we become because of that image bearing. So for Satan, what you need to understand is he doesn't need you as follower. In order to get what he truly wants, he must destroy you in toto. You can't breathe anymore, which is why death is his greatest weapon. And so whatever he can do to slowly kill you in heart, mind, and soul, he will do. He will do. Now, the good news is he's not, he's not omnipotent. He's not. He, he can't be everywhere. He doesn't know everything. He can't hear your inner thoughts. You know, that's why there's like a whole tradition of don't say it out loud because Satan will grab it and run away with it or what I don't know. And so, but, but what he can do is get you to work for him, which so many of us do. Because we don't use the means of grace, because we don't put on the armor of God, because we don't remember who and whose we are. So to fight against the schemes of the devil, you have to imitate the Lord your God. And so he gives a number of things here that I'm not going to take the time to necessarily hash out, uh, but he talks about the belt of truth, and he talks about the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, <laughs> which is, sounds really cool to me right now. Uh, and, and, and he talks about the sword, the, the word of God. So all of these things help to protect us against the schemes of the devil. So we ought to be a people who are most concerned with what is true. We ought to be a people who are most concerned with what God's word does in fact say, not just in one place, but in the whole sweep of the story. We ought to be a people who, are, who know that we have been declared righteous in Christ and we are clothed in that righteousness. And when God looks on us, he sees a son or daughter, not an enemy anymore. And so what we have to remember, though, is that all these things are to be used not just against the devil, but he goes through some things here. He says, not flesh and blood. So that means that nothing that bears the image of God are we to fight against with these things? Now, you may say, wait a second now. Don't he, don't he, ain't he talking about government or something right here? Ain't we supposed to get on the internet or something, use our sword and all that stuff? No. In fact, what he's doing here, when he starts describing principalities and powers and things of this nature, he's saying the same thing over and over again. It's just one thing. He's just saying it a bunch of different ways, which is a common biblical technique to give you the fullness of it. And what he's saying is, if, if you notice, is he's talking about the cosmic powers of darkness. That's what you're fighting against. See, you're not supposed to fight against anybody who's got flesh and blood. You are to fight for them. You are to be the light as Christ is the light. Remember, he said that at the end of chapter 5. Awake, O sleeper, and he was quoting Isaiah. Awake, O sleeper. And how he said, redeem the time that Christ was the light and you were the light and you were supposed to expose the, 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 the things of darkness. Why? Remember what we said. You don't expose it in order to harm someone else, ever. Why do you expose it? Why does something come to light so it can be healed? Which is why he says to you who sit in darkness, come out, not for judgment, for redemption. So are we using the means of grace for those around us who sit in darkness, beckoning to them, come out? And we sit in various forms of darkness. For some, it is unbelief, the darkness of unbelief. Their minds have been darkened, right? That's why we, we read part of what we read. I'm sure some of you were thinking, assurance of pardon sounds horrible. It says you can't hear or see. No, he was talking specifically about the Jews. And some of you may be thinking, well, that sounds fairly anti-Semitic. no. Paul qualifies all of this in Romans. The point was, we sit here. We are here because of Paul, who was a Jew, by the way. His faithfulness to continue to preach the gospel. Notice what he did. He bought a house. 
And for two and a half years, he opened the doors wide and said, come and hear the gospel. Now, if you may remember, he was under house arrest during that season. Much like what he is now, but this is further arrest in which he finds himself in the Ephesian letter. And so we we are not to use the things that the Lord has given us to harm other people. We have to understand that our enemies don't bear the image of God. Now, did I just say everybody was saved? I did not. In fact, that's exactly why this matters so much, because all are not saved. And yet we should long for the family to get bigger and bigger and to use every means by which the Lord has given us to do that. For some of you, it's not just the darkness of unbelief in which you sit. It is the darkness of the brokenness of something in your family. Whether it's your marriage, your children, whether it's some circumstance, health circumstances going on. And again, I'm not saying that God is going to up and heal all that, but you've got to change how you see what you have. Now, peace only depends on you as much as both parties are willing. Reconciliation can't happen in a vacuum. So if you have questions about that, let's talk about it. Don't hear that as more hyperbolic than what I said, but what we ought always be for and pushing toward is reconciliation. The longer I go, the more radical I recognize the reconciliation that is in Christ. And the more that I'm recognizing, there's some people I need to reach back out to from over the years that I've left that, that, that relationship in some wreckage. And, and guess what? I don't want to do it. I don't want to go back down those roads any more than any of you would want to. I'm not super spiritual. But I do recognize that God is good, and there's something in that. And if he's putting it on my mind, it's worth doing, right? And so we have to recognize that the true enemy is darkness. It is Satan himself. It is all the powers associated with him, which, by the way, do find their ways into governmental structures and institutions and individuals who do bear the image. But you've got to remember what you're fighting against because what you use tool-wise becomes incredibly important. And so he makes it clear, and he's reminding them from chapter 2. Remember chapter 2. Who were the enemies of God? You, me, all of us. And how do you treat us? What means did he use? Grace. To redeem us. And to call us into that. And then he proceeded to go on and bring down the wall of separation between us. And oh, by the way, those Jews who were deaf and blind. Turns out he redeemed them too. That wasn't a permanent circumstance. And it's actually made one person using marriage language. And then he goes on to apply that to marriages and other places as well. Working situations, family situations. So we are to, and and this is so important, if you hear nothing else, everybody give me your attention for just 30 seconds. If a Waco sleeper, (laughs) that wasn't part of it. Uh, It is, remember, you are not fighting against the people that live in your home. Remember, you are not fighting against the people that you work with. Remember that you are not fighting against the people that you go to school with. Remember that you are not fighting against the neighbor who is trying to seize part of your property with their trees or something. Remember that you are not fighting against flesh and blood. You are called to do all of these things to fight for. For every single member of your home. And that may look different for different members, right? Some of them go easier than others. You are to fight for them regardless of what you think of them. You are to fight for the people that you work with regardless of how irritating they may be, how loud they are when you come in the office, how they smack their gum. I'm not describing anybody in our office, by the way. That's probably me. I'm the one who's loud and smacks gum. But remember, you're not fighting against these people. You're fighting for them. So if you don't walk away with anything else today, please hear me. Christ died and has supplied everything you need in the resurrection to fight for, not against. Now that looks different in different circumstances. This is where we have to seek wise counsel, going back to the beginning. And so... 
Just like he has fought for us using all of those things, we are to fight for. Listen to what Timothy Gombas says of this portion of the passage. <clears throat> Paul cast the church, listen, as the presence of God on the earth. Did you hear that? Did you hear that? You, if you say you're a Christian, you are, whether you have accepted membership vows or not, whether you're in transition, whether you feel not so hot about the current place you have your membership vows, you're still the church. The church is not about brick and mortar. We are not, Christ community is not looking to build a church. We're looking to house a church in a permanent facility. That's different. We currently are the church. And there's no good thing that we can't do, even with parquet dance floor. And so, I'm going to miss it, by the way, if it ever goes away, I think. Maybe not. But he goes on to say, we're the presence of God on the earth, and as the chief, listen, as the chief character, the church is the chief character in God's ongoing cosmic conflict with the suprahuman powers that rule the present evil age. God has delivered the death blow to them in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But there is an ongoing battle. Remember, we've said it this way before. It's over, but it's not yet finished. We, uh, we are becoming, even though we be in some respects. He goes on to say, but there's an ongoing battle. Jesus Christ continues to wage this warfare, and he does so through the church. This is why you'll sometimes hear the term, the church militant. I'll be honest with you, that language makes me really uncomfortable sometimes because of the way it's been used throughout American history. It's been used poorly, actually, in European history as well. Oh, and by the way, if you read Russian history, it's been used poorly in Russian history, right? And so that, I get a little nervous with that language because of the way we distort it and we forget what we're fighting against. But we are the church militant against what? Flesh and blood? Those, those Mormons who had the audacity to beat the volunteers? God's own team? Uh, maybe not. Uh, are, are we fighting against those who disagree with us? By the way, how many of you even remotely think there's any two people in here who agree on everything? And you are the church? What makes us think we're going to proud swagger out of here out on into the schoolyard waiting for the world's applause? And so we're not fighting against those things. No, no, no. We are militant against the powers of darkness, against the schemes of the devil, which long to destroy the image of God in his people. And so he goes on. Paul's rhetorical close to Ephesians calls the people of God to put on God's own virtues because the church now plays the role of divine warrior on the earth. So while we are the divine warrior, we are to put on God's virtues. And if you remember Exodus 34, 6, and 7, what are those virtues? We are to fight against the powers of darkness with these things. Steadfast love. I'm sorry? Where's my sword? What happened to my sword, Cameron? That is your sword. You, you, you want to have an impact on an enemy? Someone who doesn't like you very much? Love them. Steadfast in faithfulness, long-suffering, merciful, gracious, forgiving, but just. This, these are the virtues that are the characteristics of God that we are to imitate, that are embedded in the armor of God itself, and that is what we are to use against the powers of darkness for the good of every bit of flesh and blood that surrounds us in our spheres of influence. So I ask you, who's your real enemy? Who's your real enemy at current, if you would be honest? Well, some days it's probably you. And that's the hardest answer of all, is it not? And by the way, if you're your own worst enemy, then guess what you ought to apply to you? What weapons? Steadfast love, faithfulness, 
Forgiveness, mercy, grace, all the things we've just talked about are applied to you too, by the way, and amen, which is why you can apply them to those around you. And then how does or should this help you navigate the issues that you are currently having with other image bearers? Here's where the rubber meets the road. And here's where I would say, spend some time today. Don't give up on this. Let it do its work in you in the power of the Spirit. All of us, I, I can guarantee you, all of us are in conflict with somebody right now of some kind. And we need to ask, how am I viewing that conflict? How am I viewing that person? Do I view them as enemy? Or do I view them as flesh and blood and the image of God? And, and what, what could I do differently in that current conflict using the means of grace displaying the very characteristics and virtues of God. And you may come to an impasse. You may conclude, I have no earthly idea. That is not a bad conclusion, by the way, because you don't have any earthly idea. It can only be a heavenly idea. But what you ought to do is seek wise counsel. Be willing to go to someone who can help you apply the gospel. Because here's where we are failing, if I could accuse us of failing anywhere is in the application of the restorative power of the gospel. It's a lot of chatter. And we run around acting like, like Jesus really didn't win. Like what Timothy Gombas has said is not true, that he doesn't reign. And we need to purge ourselves of these bad ideas and people with bad ideas. Well, that is not good at all. So the practical application of the gospel becomes the most important thing for you who are a Christian. And then how do the means of grace help you face the real enemy and navigate the issues that you have with other image bearers? So I hope my prayer for us as a church is that the book of Ephesians would help us to do that. That we would be a people who fight for unity. That we, even if we break up, even if you got to move on, that you would quit like a Christian. Right? That even in our quitting... It would be something of the glory and beauty of the gospel. But that we would not quit so easily. That we would not forsake the opportunity for reconciliation and for God to be glorified in a circumstance that seems so lost. Now, I want to be careful here because some of you are in some really tough circumstances. Please don't overhear me. If the other person is unwilling, there are circumstances where you're not you can't make it work. You're not going to. So don't over-spiritualize what I just said, but properly spiritualize. Let's turn back to the text and hear the, how he sums it up and what he calls us to so beautifully. So he says, even with all those, those pieces of armor, this one, this one brings them all together and puts them to use. Praying at all times in the Spirit. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So here Paul says, we are to pray. And I know some of you hear that. Well, praying at all times, man, that sounds hard. I got to work. <laughs> you know, I got to eat. I got stuff I got to do. I got to work out. I got to make keto meal. It's not easy. Staying keto. Uh, I'm not doing that either, by the way. Just went with the bald thing. <laughs> Thought I'd skip that other part. And it really didn't lose much weight either, by the way, when I shaved my head. And so, so does he mean that that's all you're to do is pray? What's he mean there? Well, what he means is, is that you, be, you now interact with the world in a completely different way because you have been given eyes to see and ears to hear that Christ reigns on the throne, that the Holy Spirit is at work in this fallen world, that hope is not a bad thing at all, that it can be, uh, things can be changed even between the now and the not yet. We are not to act as if it's lost and we're just waiting for Superman. No, we are to participate as ambassadors of reconciliation. 
So knowing that all that's true, we walk in a way that is in constant communication with the Lord our God. I now listen to you or hope to listen to you differently because of what I can hear in the power of the gospel. One of the most amazing stories was on the cover of Rolling Stone some 20 years ago, and it was a Methodist minister. It shocked the stew out of me. I, I, I looked and I thought, what is this? So I, certainly it's going to be some, they're going to scoff at religion some kind of way, right? But the story was, is that a drifter brutally uh, killed this Methodist minister's son for no reason. And in the hearing, uh, they asked if he had anything to say to the family, and he said this, sorry. It was fascinating what, what they said this guy heard. The Methodist minister said, I heard something in what he said. Now, did he, were we talking visions? No, 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 no. He heard an opening. So he started visiting this guy in prison. Well, the guy converts, right, and gets out. He does seven years, gets out, and they go on a speaking tour about forgiveness. And it was so powerful that not even Rolling Stone could figure out how to make fun of it. There's something just profound in being able to hear hope even in the darkest of statements. Think about how this would play out for those of you who are parents. Who you look on and it just looks so lost. Susan went down to be with my daughter with uh, my, her niece. And the first question I asked her, and I, I, all I can do is say it's in the power of the Holy Spirit because I was thinking when she comes back, what, what, you know, how, how do we want to talk about this? I asked her, I said, what did you see that was good? It was a very decentering question to Susan, not because she, she didn't see anything good, but she saw a lot that wasn't. It was very heartbreaking to her, but it made her pause and go, hmm. I would argue it gave a little bit of hope where there wasn't a whole lot to see. And so we become a people who, no matter the circumstance, our first thing when we walk into a situation is we're looking, all right, Spirit, where are you at work? How do, I, how do I join in with what you're already doing? This is, I know this is rough, this is bad. It doesn't mean everything works out well all the time, now does it? It doesn't. But what it does mean is that we become a people who hear and see completely different. We are in the Spirit praying, essentially, or in communication with God at all times. And notice it's very similar language to what Jesus said to the disciples when he was in Gethsemane. Stay alert and be persevering in this. Which means what, by the way? What does that mean about us? If he's got to tell us to stay alert, what does that mean? Susan's so frustrated with me right now. We've been trying to watch this TV show. I get through the first 30 minutes and I sleep through the next 30. And we got to rewatch it again, right? And she's like, come on, man. Are you going to stay awake or not? I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Last night, out. I just, I, 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 so I can't stay alert with it. I mean, I'm, I'm just getting old. I'm bald. You know, there's a lot going on here. <laughs> but it means it just don't come natural to us. We're not alert. We would rather be half asleep in these fake empires, to quote the national. We would rather not know what's going on and just, just try to pretend. Just don't, I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to deal with it right now. I don't want to deal with it ever. Instead of engaging in it with hope and the power of the gospel. And so it also means that we have to be perseverant because we're weak. We're going to give up. It's easy to give up on things, isn't it? It's easy to stop praying. You hear stories of people praying for people for decades. Huh, that just sounds wearisome to me. And yet they've done it. And things have changed. It's amazing how even somebody prayed for somebody for decades, their funeral brought about transformation and the power of the Holy Spirit. And so Paul's saying to us that the single greatest thing that you will do as the church, how you will implement and recognize and keep it in the spiritual realm is that you will be a praying people. And we want to be a praying people. We want to be dependent upon God, recognizing we can't do it in our own strength. Hear what uh, Peter T. O'Brien says about this as, he, as we bring it to a close. He says, Paul wants his readers to understand that prayer is foundational for the deployment of all the other weapons and is therefore crucial if they are to stand firm in their spiritual struggle. He's already shown his concern for them by praying that they might know the greatness of God's power. 
chapter 1, verses 15 through 23, and be strengthened by it so as to grasp the dimensions of Christ's love for them and be filled with all the fullness of God, 3, 14 through 21. The apostle wants them to realize that a life of dependence on God and prayer is essential if they are to engage successfully in their warfare with the powers of darkness. Notice what he said in the text. Pray, pray, pray that my words would glorify God and give opportunity for other people to come. What if that was our prayer for each other in the various circumstances in which we were in, that we recognized that the single greatest reason that we're still here is for the, for the kingdom to grow and the gospel to advance. Amen? And that, that that would be our passion instead of setting up really beautiful whitewashed tombs. Because graveyards are fun to visit, but not stay. And so we need to be a people who understands the ultimate goal of prayer. So what is the ultimate goal of prayer? Well, if you want to be really theological, it's to glorify God. Well, when is God most glorified, by the way? When people perish? No. God is most glorified when people are redeemed and things are reconciled and things are put back together that were left out of joint when that which is broken is set and heals. That which is wounded grows strong. So... Ephesians 6, 10 through 20, in conclusion for the book of Ephesians, teaches us that we are called to be strong and stand firm in the strength provided by the Lord through the means of grace against the devil and the spiritual powers of darkness, and remembering that we don't fight against flesh and blood, we fight for it, for each other. And then that prayer at all times in the spirit for the advance of the gospel, for the life of the world, that our prayer ought not just be for things for ourselves, but ought to be for the life of the world. Now, should we pray for healing for ourselves? Yes. Why? For the life of the world. Should we pray that our marriage would be healed? Yes. Why? So that it would be a sacred canopy for the life of the world. Should we pray for any, anything and everything? When anything is put back together, God is glorified. And we ought to be a people who celebrate mightily in that. And so, what a gift that we could be nourished by the table, one of the means of grace that Christ left for us, a sacrament that uh, he said he, he wanted to make sure that we would never forget what he had done for us and that we would recognize how much he loved us in dying for us and how much we've been given in his rising for us. And so in the table, we have just these common elements, things that uh, we encounter all the time, Right? And so uh, he was having this, this meal with them, and they were not clear on what was happening, you remember. They were still really confused, but he wanted to leave them with something. From that meal that they'd come back to again and again and again to meditate on, to rethink yet again what it means that he was going to die for them and that he was going to rise from the dead. So it's important that you not try to pretend to be something you're not here this morning. If you're not a Christian, if you're not in the Spirit, don't, don't eat this meal. You don't owe anybody anything. You don't have to look like something for anybody's sake around you. Let it pass you by, right? Be honest about it. But if you are a Christian, even if you're struggling, even if you, that, that thing called doubt is crouching at your door, even if you are in the process of trying to reconcile and you don't know what that's going to look like and you, you're not sure if you have a whole lot of hope, well, that uncertainty is exactly why you need the table. That's exactly why you would need to take the bread and drink of the overflowing cup that covers you. Now, if you're in a position to where you are unreconciled and you couldn't care less, well, you can't take of this table because you don't know Jesus. Not this Jesus. Jesus you know is created in your image. And you need to let it pass you by till you get that squared away. If you have any questions about any of those things, please come talk to us. We want to make sure that you... You're not letting it pass you by for reasons that aren't biblical, but those are the biblical reasons. If you're an unbeliever and you are un unwilling to reconcile when Christ has made all things and is making all things new, then you're not practicing the gospel, and so that keeps you, should bar you from the table. The other would be church discipline, but we don't have anybody in that category that I know of at this time. I also want to remind parents that if your child is not yet 
um, been uh, seen by a couple of the elders and made a profession of faith for the church to celebrate. They too need to let the elements pass by. We do have resources for that. If you have any questions about our process, it is very simple. It is a very simple thing that they would confess. Uh, but we do need to make sure, since we are responsible as the elders, we'll stand before God and be responsible. We would, we would rather those children and, more importantly, that the church be able to celebrate what's going on in their heart and the profession that they've made. We're not trying to keep something from anybody. We're actually trying to welcome in, right? And so any questions that you have about that, please see any one of us afterward. But for everybody else who's in need, everybody else who is struggling in their weakness to stand firm, for everybody else who can't at times carry the weight of the armor of God, it seems. You need this table to nourish you to be able to do all those things. And so remember what Christ said on the night that he was with them. He grabbed bread. It was toward the beginning of the meal. He said, this, this bread, is my body and it's given for you. And he broke it. And they didn't quite understand at the time what we understand now is that that meant that their sin and shame and guilt and the wrath of God would be satisfied, that they no longer would have to walk under that tyranny, and they, would be, they were being essentially set free in Christ to glorify God in the beauty of the kingdom. When you receive the bread, if you would hold it, and we'll all take together as family, but meditate on the things that, that Christ has done in order for you to be in him to stand firm and be strong in the power of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the broken bread. Thank you for the body of Christ given for us. Thank you that our sin and shame and guilt don't have the final say. Thank you that we can be honest with each other about that, that we can actually seek wise counsel, that we don't have to hide in darkness. You have, in the body of Christ, welcomed us to come out. And God, would you nourish us in the power of the Holy Spirit to walk in that newness of life set free from the power of sin and shame and guilt. In Christ's name, amen.